If you brought your copy of God's Word, go ahead and open to Matthew chapter 12. This morning we pick up where we left off last week. It was a two-part message dealing with Jesus being Lord of the Sabbath and what that means and what that looks like. And last week where we left off, we found uh, Jesus in a situation where he and his disciples were being accused of breaking uh, the Sabbath day regulations. And as we saw last week, God never intended the Sabbath to be or become a day of burden for his people, did he? Instead, God intended the Sabbath rest to be a day of blessing for his people, a day of rest from their labors. And little did they know then, little did they know, that the Sabbath day of rest was to find its fulfillment in the coming of Jesus Christ, their promised Messiah who in his coming and fulfilling of the law and the prophets literally put to rest all of the Jewish works-based system that they used to maintain favor with God, the Mosaic Covenant, which was a bilateral covenant of if you do this, then this will happen, blessings or cursings depending upon how you function. If you obey, blessings. If you disobey, disobey then curses would follow, and these Jewish people were accustomed to working hard both at their labors in the field and in maintaining their relationship with God. There were all sorts of ceremonial regulations that they need do. But in Jesus, we find there's rest for them and everyone from all their works. It's the gospel. In Jesus, through repentance and faith, all of those ceremonial laws were over and a person's relationship with God was founded by faith in God's Son, Jesus, the Messiah. His work at the cross was finished and it ushered in a, a glorious new covenant whereby people could rest from their works. The, the Jewish nation could rest from their works permanently. Mark, the, uh, the apostle in his gospel, recorded this famous statement of Jesus regarding the Sabbath in Mark 2, 27. You've all heard this, I'm sure. Jesus said to them, the Sabbath was made for man and not man for the Sabbath. The Sabbath was made for the benefit of man, to be a blessing to man. But the scribes and the Pharisees, the religious leaders, had turned the Sabbath into a day that man instead was serving the Sabbath. They viewed the day of Sabbath as a holy day, and thus man needed to serve that holy day, and thus they created all kinds of do's and don'ts that were to be and did become Sabbath law for the Jewish nation that they needed and must maintain. They turned what God intended to be the Sabbath day's rest for man and that which was good for man on its head and turned it into another religious burden. And that day of rest uh, was to them to be a shadow of their greater rest which was yet to come. 
and their long-promised coming Messiah. The seed of the woman from Genesis chapter 3 would be a blessing to the entire world. And this is why today Christians do not observe a singular day of rest on Saturday. Because as we saw last week in Hebrews chapter 4, all who come to Christ in faith have thus entered into that rest. The, 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 the shadow that the Sabbath day was and became its fulfillment is found in Christ. And just go and read again. I'm, I encouraged you to read the entirety of Hebrews chapter 4 last week and spend some time musing over that chapter and you will see excuse me, very clearly that those of us who come to faith in Jesus Christ have entered into that rest. Because Christ is the fulfillment of all those ceremonial laws. He didn't come to abolish the law as we saw in Matthew 5, 17. Remember, do not think that I came to abolish the law or the prophets. I did not come to abolish, but to what? He came to fulfill those. And as the Lord of the Sabbath, he knew that the original intentions of his for the day of Sabbath were to be a blessing to man and not man serving the Sabbath. Again, the Pharisees, these religious leaders, had found a way to turn it on its head. Modern-day Pharisaism today is, is a form of legalism of sorts. By the way, if, if we think that we're safe from maybe falling prey to the same things that these Pharisees did, uh, think again. We, as human beings, are very prone to turning anything into some kind of ritualistic mandate, not only for ourselves, but then we impose them on others, and it becomes a spiritual burden and abuse, as was all these Sabbath day regulations that they had inflicted upon the nation of Israel. We see from the Apostle Paul in Romans chapter 14 um, the idea of the observance of special days. And if there was ever a place where the Holy Spirit could have, by inspiration, moved the Apostle Paul in, in any of his 13 epistles to say something favorable about Christians' need to make observance of Sabbath as was in keeping with the Jewish law, this would have been the place that he could have and probably would have done it because it, it, makes, uh, it only makes sense in this passage here if Paul has the observance of, Sa of Sabbath in mind. Notice what he says here in Romans 14. One person regards one day above another. Well, the Jewish people obviously regarded one day above others. There was a day, a holy day, a Sabbath day. Another regards every day alike. Each person must be fully convinced in his own mind. He who observes the day observes it for the Lord. So a very simple, straightforward application for what Paul is saying here with regard to today's is just in essence live each and every day for the Lord. He who observes the day, whatever day and for whatever purpose you're observing that day, you're doing it for the Lord because we belong to the Lord. The Lord Jesus is the inaugurator of a new covenant. He's the fulfillment of all the law and prophets. We have our position and we live in Him. Our access to God the Father is through Him. It's not on tablets of stone. It's because He's put that beautiful truth within our hearts by the Holy Spirit. He's given us new hearts, new desires. 
new passions. Again, had God intended for the church to observe a Sabbath day rest, this would have been a place most assuredly the Apostle Paul could have dropped that there. Now, with this in mind, in our passage that we're looking at this morning in Matthew, we've got to remember Jesus and his disciples are still living under the old covenant. The inauguration of that new covenant um, was established at the cross of Calvary, at the blood of Christ, when he gave his life there at the cross of Calvary. So all of those ceremonial aspects of the old, te- uh, old covenant law were still applicable for Jesus and his disciples, which lets us know that the Sabbath day of rest, as prescribed by God through Moses, was still in effect when Jesus and his disciples, as they were passing through that grain field, and they were gathering grain and rubbing it in their hands and consuming that, is is the context of which we found ourselves in last week. Uh, We see that Jesus is going to specifically use that as an opportunity of correction an opportunity to admonish the Pharisees for their misuse and ultimate abuse that they afflicted on so many people by forcing them into following the traditions of men with regard to Sabbath observance rather than what God had originally intended, what what Jesus had originally intended being that he was there at the creation of the world. Which needs to be a good reminder to us by, again, by means of personal application, we need to uh, be careful not to be pharisaical, not to allow our personal convictions to become theological absolutes. I could probably do a laundry list of things that we could skip that rock across that water of things that we might struggle with in life, and I and at, at this juncture, I'm opting not to because it might, that rock might skim off somebody's shin this morning and, and inflict some pain. And that's not my goal. I want to keep our ears open to what the Spirit is saying in His Word and not close them because of personal animus about the way we love our personal convictions and perhaps have turned some of them into theological treatises that not only we need live by, but so must everyone else. Because after all, we got to do it God's way. So, we will, um, I'll just kind of leave a little pause there for the Holy Spirit to maybe make some application for us, but we need to be aware of this. Remember, uh, the Talmud that we talked about last week was a very large uh, collection of writings of, from the religious leaders in the Jewish community. And in my understanding of it, it's, it's in essence a collection of personal convictions on how they understood and how they made application of God's word to life. And as the religious leaders, they then made those in traditions of man and they made an entire nation of men follow them and they were thus led away from the truth of God's word. So much so that when Jesus, their Messiah, came, they didn't even recognize him. Didn't even, didn't even recognize him. We just scratched the surface last week. I shared some of that Talmaic traditions with you. But remember, they, they were so crafty. <laughs> they, as I mentioned last, they, they created 24 chapters. There's 24 chapters in the Talmud of Sabbath day rest regulations, Sabbath day laws that they're to follow. 
how do you even remember 24 chapters worth of regulations, right? I guess maybe they had a little a pocket Sabbath handbook. Is this, is this allowable today? Let me pull it out. Let me see. It's chapter 18. Ah, oh, no, I can't do that. I got to serve the Sabbath. Man was made for Sabbath, not the Sabbath for man. It truly was um, a form of spiritual abuse in the life of, of the children of God. And um, Jesus, think about this, think, in just one verse, in one verse, verse 7, Jesus is able to make God's intentions for Sabbath rest expect, exceptions, exceptions to Sabbath day rest. Listen, on the, Sabbath, on the seventh day God rested, you need to rest from your labors on the seventh day. It's a very simple, straightforward understanding. God labored for six days, you rest on the seventh day. You labor for six days, you rest on the seventh day. They should have just kind of kept the application simple and basic. Instead, they created 24 chapters worth of it. In one verse, Jesus is able to answer the question, when is it okay to actually perform work on the Sabbath? It, they had 24 chapters worth of things. In one verse, Jesus makes clear God's intentions for when it's okay to actually perform work on the Sabbath and what those requirements of Ex, of exception were. Notice this in verse 7, chapter 12, verse 7. And he does this by quoting Hosea 6, 6. But if you had known what this means, I desire compassion and not sacrifice, you would not have condemned the innocent. In one verse, Jesus lets them know that the exception to Sabbath day work was the expression of compassion for fellow men and, and animals as well. We're going to see that here in just a bit. It's the, the right application of compassion. Do I need to work on the Sabbath or not? Is there a need for compassion in this situation? Is this person sick and in need of care? Remember what they said? They said if someone was, was sick, became sick on the Sabbath, you could render aid, but just enough aid to keep them alive. If you rendered any more aid beyond keeping them alive, it's work forbidden. Just keep them alive. But then on the next day, on the next day, then you can render more important aid to try to help make them better. I mean, this is how sad uh, these regulations had become. Listen to Charles Spurgeon on this verse here. He said, Jesus would rather that the disciples should spend a few minutes in plucking ears of corn for their hunger then suffer faintness in order to preserve the sanctity of the day. Having thus the permit of the Lord himself, those who allowed the merciful act of removing hunger were guiltless and ought not to be condemned. Indeed, they would not have been <clears throat> condemned had their critics been better instructed. Works of mercy are lawful, on the Sabbath. And in one verse, Jesus summarizes that very succinctly, quoting Hosea 6, 6. Isn't that great? So simple. We try to sometimes make God's Word so complicated and difficult to understand, when oftentimes it's very simple indeed. Now, in our passage, Jesus is going to demonstrate this principle of compassion on the Sabbath, and in doing so, he's going to cause the heads of the Pharisees to explode. You ready? 
Look at verse 9. Departing from there, he went into their synagogue. So now we have Jesus on the Sabbath in a local Jewish synagogue, and as we'll see for the express purpose of illustrating, Jesus is to, to illustrate how to show compassion and how that works on the Sabbath. Look at verse 10. And a man was there whose hand was withered, and they questioned Jesus, asking, Is it lawful to heal on the Sabbath so that they might accuse him? So we see very clearly here that according to these Pharisees, and no doubt their understanding from the Talmud, as I just mentioned, that performing a healing on the Sabbath was in violation of their man-made traditions. Healing um, was something that, as we've been looking at through the Gospel of Matthew, how many hundreds, thousands of people has Jesus already healed? Countless. No doubt, on, on an any given day, Jesus probably healed hundreds of people. They were perpetually flocking to him for a healing. And, and in some occasions, as we're going to see at the end of this passage, he heals all, well, next week's passage, he, he heals all of them. As he's moving away from this context, he lets them know, do not let them know who I am. And it says, and he was healing them all as they were coming to him. They, these Pharisees knew that Jesus was the healer. And so here they take um, advantage of the situation. And we see there at the end of verse 10 what their heart uh, perspective was. They were looking for an excuse um, to accuse Jesus of Sabbath violation and bring him under judgment of the, the, the nation of Israel, the, the religious leaders of the day, right? And so was Jesus, and how was Jesus going to answer this question, is it lawful to heal on the Sabbath? Now, obviously, this man that needs the healing, he's not sick, right? He's not sick, he just has a withered hand. So the appropriate thing on how Jesus, from their perspective, should have answered in keeping with their traditions of man, their understanding of the law, was Jesus just could have said, well, this, man, this man's not sick. He just needs healing. I'm just going to allow the Sabbath day to expire, and then on the conclusion of the Sabbath day, I'll heal this man's hand, as you've seen me heal many people previously. That would have been probably what they were hoping that he wouldn't do because they were looking for an occasion to accuse him of breaking the Sabbath regulations. So Matthew lets us know that the Pharisees, they viewed this situation of the man whose hand was withered as an entrapment for Jesus without question to accuse him and find him guilty before the law. Which again, according to the book of Jubilees we looked at last week, what was... Uh, the, the punishment for the violation of Sabbath day. In the book of Jubilees, they went so far as to say that death was an appropriate punishment for Sabbath day violations. So perhaps, as we're going to see in verse 14, that's exactly what they're looking to do, which is to destroy Jesus, plotting against him, setting a trap to ultimately lead to his death. Now, contextually way different, but again, by means of application from this context. I think it's important for us as Christ followers to be aware of the fact that uh, in the same way that Jesus had an enemy that was scheming against him for entrapment, 
for the purpose of destroying him, we need not be so uh, wrongly delusioned to think that we don't have an adversary, brothers and sisters, that's looking for your entrapment in some form or way or another. Back in the day, several years ago, the entrapment was by means of a COVID shot. If you don't get the shot, you lose your job. I don't know what it's going to be today or tomorrow, but our world is progressively moving in a way where the ferreting out of believers is becoming a very real thing. I don't know if you're paying attention or not, but you need to, you need to be paying attention. Just make general observation of the mainstream media's headlines, and you will oftentimes see, maybe not blatantly, but you will see implicitly that they're looking to ferret out concepts of truth, and there's nobody that's carrying around the concepts of truth that they hate more than us, the church. So in the same way that these Pharisees, again, contextually significantly different, but in the same way that they were looking for an entrapment for Jesus, in order to destroy him. The culture in which you're living in would love to do nothing more than entrap you, destroy your reputation, destroy your ability to be a witness for Christ. So be on the alert. Be aware of your surroundings. Amen? Your true adversary wants to steal, kill, and destroy everything. Stay sober-minded. Stay alert. Notice how Jesus responds and how he answers the question, is it lawful to heal on the Sabbath? Look at 11. Then he said to them, What man is there among you who has a sheep, and if it falls into a pit on the Sabbath, will he not take hold of it and lift it out? Obviously, a sheep weighs more than a dried fig, and according to the Talmud, the only amount of weight one was able to lift legally on the Sabbath was the weight of a dried fig. So obviously a sheep would violate the weight restrictions on Sabbath. Unless, of course, there was an exception that had been made to that regulation for the express purpose of rescuing animals' lives that were in danger. Now, I don't know about you, but that sounds like something that we would do and are perhaps trying to do even in our culture today. There's a if you if you um, if you were to harm an animal, they may throw you in prison for quite some time. But if you kill an innocent life in the womb, no big deal. Be aware. Nothing new under the sun. And here we see these these Sadducees are going to actually have more concern, more compassion, more care for a sheep that would fall into a pit than that of their fellow man. William Hendrickson in his commentary said, it's safe to infer perhaps that the question asked by Jesus at the moment indicates to us that there was a particular legislation permitting this. You following his logic there? That there must have been somewhere in the Talmud regulations some kind of uh, particular legislation that would, uh, that would allow this, that of saving uh, an animal that falls into a pit on a Sabbath day. However, um, we've yet to discover that exact regulation yet. So I think what's best instead is to surmise that Jesus is going to be demonstrating for them the law of compassion. 
in a way that they actually understood. If Jesus were perhaps uh, in a court of law with these religious leaders of the day and what he's doing uh, here with them, his attorney would probably stand up and say, um, Your, Your, Your Honor, um, we, close, we rest our case. Because Jesus is making it clear that, and he knew that every single one of those Pharisees and every single Jewish man would go out of their way. They would find a way to save a sheep that had fallen into a pit on a day of Sabbath. Come what may, they would have found a way to rescue their sheep from a pit. But yet here they are trying to entrap Jesus <clears throat> by making a man better on the Sabbath day. And so in, in, the, in, the, in their silence, it's going to seem that Jesus, in essence, gets the, answers, the answer to the question. And what does this show? It shows that these Pharisees actually understood the principle of compassion, which... <clears throat> What man is there among you who has a sheep, and if it falls into a pit on the Sabbath, will he not take hold of it and lift it out? Jesus is demonstrating through this statement to them that they rightly understood the heart of compassion that God had with regard to the day of Sabbath. That it's right to do good on the day of Sabbath. How much labor can I do on the day of Sabbath? It, it's dependent on how much mercy is needed in the moment. And so if the sheep falls into the pit, there's not a man here who wouldn't go and rescue the sheep from the pit because that's the compassionate and a good thing to do. Jesus knew all the Pharisees understood that, and so he's basically rubbing on them in kind of a unique way. See, you actually do understand what God intended by the use of a day of Sabbath rest and its regulations and the exception to that law. Rest from your labors. You've labored for six days. Take a day of rest. If something becomes a thing on the Sabbath, when can I work? Compassion will dictate. The circumstances will dictate. If a person falls sick, you would render aid to them, not just to barely keep them alive, but you should render aid to them <clears throat> to try to make them better. <clears throat> if your sheep falls into a pit, which one of you wouldn't go and rescue your sheep? You see where he's going with this? He, in essence, lets them know that they actually understand the law of compassion. Case closed. Look at verse 12. How much more valuable then is a man than a sheep? So then it is lawful to do good on the Sabbath. See how quickly Jesus can answer the questions? I got 24 chapters of things, of do's and don'ts, of what you do and what you don't do and how you... Jesus can just summarize it that quickly because the heart of God's intention was literally this basic. It is lawful to do good on the Sabbath. Jesus hasn't abolished the Sabbath day yet. That happens at the cross and the shedding of the blood, the inauguration of the new covenant. He's still functioning under Sabbath day regulations. And on the Sabbath, he's saying it's lawful to do good on the Sabbath. So when his disciples were picking the grain and grinding it in, his, in their hands and eating, it was lawful for them to do that on the Sabbath to assuage their hunger along the journey as they were with the Son of Man engaged in the, the spreading of the gospel of the kingdom of God. 
it is okay to do good on the Sabbath. Then, verse 13, he said to them, he said to the man, excuse me, stretch out your hand. He stretched it out and it was restored to normal like the other. Now, now Matthew, in his gospel, doesn't capture all of the emotion uh, of this encounter. Listen to Mark's account of this same conversation in Mark chapter 3, verses 3 through 5. He said to the man with the withered hand, get up and come forward. And he said to them, is it lawful to do good or to do harm on the Sabbath, to save a life or to kill? But they kept silent. After looking around at them with anger, see, Mark's kind of capturing some of the, the righteous indignation that Jesus is feeling over the issue of the abuse of the Sabbath regulations that they've inflicted on the nation of Israel for decades, yea, centuries. Grieved at their hardness of heart, he said to the man, stretch out your hand, and he stretched it out, and his hand was restored. Again, Mark captures for us the significant level of divine righteous indignation that was pulsing through Jesus' veins over the abject abuse of Sabbath day rest. A complete lack of compassion that the Pharisees had for the very people whom they claimed to serve. These religious leaders had more compassion and care for an animal than they did for their fellow man, who, like them, were made in the very image of God. Now, in reality, they should have had compassion for both. Amen? They should have had compassion for both. But when Jesus asked them if it was lawful on the Sabbath to save a life or to kill, did you see how they responded into verse 4? Is it lawful to do good or harm on the Sabbath to save a life or to kill? Their Sabbath regulations had them so bound up in a wad that they literally couldn't answer the most basic. To save a life or to kill, they kept silent. Again, our context is severely different than theirs. But no matter the context, when the question is one of, is it lawful to do good or harm, to save a life or to kill, we as the true people of God must always stand for life. It's always good to, to do right and to save life. Amen? Never stay silent on the issue of life. Who's the creator of life? God. Who is the only one that has the right to take life? God. That's why in the Ten Commandments, thou shalt not kill. We inherently and intuitively know that it's an immoral thing to take life because we're not the creator of life. We must always be those who stand on the side of life. A few weeks ago in the state of Virginia... Well, just a couple weeks ago, there was a vote for the state legislature voting on positions in the um, Senate there in their state legislature. And according to the news outlets, the, Dem the Democratic Party won the night. I don't know if you guys saw that or not. They've got a 
Republican governor there, but the and they were and he was kind of assuming because he was such a, po a popular governor and he won that elect his election that he was going to be able to bring in a Republican legislature in the state of Virginia as well. But according to the the news, the Democrats won that night, and I saw some articles and some some videos of those within that party, those who had won those elections, and they were celebrating. They were celebrating as if their football team, their favorite football team, had won a game. And I can still remember one of these images, and it was just, it, it literally made me sick to my stomach. It was an image of all these women with their hands, their fists just pumping in the air, and the article said that they were basically celebrating because they were able to, to save a woman's right to take life in the womb. And I saw that and I thought to myself, my God, how far have we as a culture fallen? God made a woman in his image and likeness with inherent worth and value and he placed within her a capacity, a beautiful capacity to carry life that was made in the image of God. And we live in a culture today that will celebrate the right to kill life in a womb. It's staggering. I, I told you they're looking for ways to entrap you Christians, didn't I? It's coming. Don't have your proverbial head in the sand. Sometimes that's what we do. We're just, we're just good guys and gals and we... we go to our work, we do our jobs, we love our neighbors as ourselves. we come home, we have a busy day, we love our family. We're not out trying to, to manage the world. We just want to love our family and our neighbors. There's a system at play out there, and who's the head of the, the world system? Satan. There's a system out there, and if you've got your proverbial head in the sand, don't become like that frog in the kettle that as that water gets turned up, the frog is unable to discern good from evil and it ends up boiling to death in the pot. Don't be the Christian that gets boiled to death in the pot because there's death in the pot. There's death in the cultural pot that we're living in today. Don't get boiled in that cultural pot. You had better more than ever make certain that you know what the Word of God says. Jesus said when you make disciples teach them to observe all I've commanded you. We need as Christians to understand what Jesus has taught us so that we can live in a manner that's worthy of the gospel of Jesus Christ. Not some cultural assimilation of it. And we're about to see that here in just a second. Let me show you how that works as well. Remember, God alone is the only rightful taker of life. Notice verse 14. Notice this. But the Pharisees went out and conspired against him as to how they might destroy him. Again, Matthew uh, makes clear that their intentions uh, at this time are to destroy, i.e. kill Jesus. But again, listen to Mark. Mark adds some details that Matthew leaves out that accurately shows and accentuates just how desperate that they are in doing this. Look at Mark chapter 3, verse 6. The Pharisees went out and immediately began conspiring with the Herodians against him as to how they might destroy him. Did you see that nuance? 
The Herodians were the irreligious and worldly political leaders who supported Herod. The Herodians were the antithesis of the Pharisees in almost every way. You've heard of the, the enemy of my enemies, my friend. Here you've got the, I'm going to use it loosely, don't misunderstand me here. Here you've got the church, the nation of Israel, and it's not the same. I'm just using this as an analogy. Here you've got the church colluding with the state in order to entrap true Christianity, Jesus. Is there anything new under the sun? <laughs> Could we be making this up? What are we seeing today? Anytime you see a church partnering with the state in any way that brings um, an aberration to what God has said is right and good and holy, just know that it's like the Pharisees conspiring with the Herodians. It's a false church. Any church that's inclusive of LGBTQ, homosexuality, any and every church that is inclusive culturally that way, they are a false church. It's not the church of Jesus Christ. They have accommodated themselves with the Herodians against Christ as to how they might destroy him, and there's nothing new under the sun. It's the exact same thing that's happening today. Nothing new. What's happening here, context is different, I get it, but the application and the, the exertion of the truth of this we see happening around us today. I do not believe in any form or fashion that the Catholic Church is the true church. They have a works-based gospel. Now, people say to me all the time, well, could there be Catholics who are Christians because they're really nice people? I'm just leaving that to God. I'm not trying to play God, right? But the doctrine of the Catholic Church is not in accordance with the Scripture. You know what the Catholic Church has? They have their own books of Talmud. They have their own books of the Talmud, the traditions of the fathers, of the popes, that they put alongside the Bible, and they have layers of authority. The Bible alone, sola scriptura, that came out of the Reformation, the Catholics were still under the Reformation. The Catholics still do not recognize the Scripture alone as a basis of authority, still to this day. Let me think. It's, it, I'm just, just going to spitball. It's been within the past month, right? It's been within the past month that the current pope did what? conspired with the Herodians. Did you hear what he did, what he said? What did he say? I'm just checking. I'm trying to see who's paying attention out there. Accepting of LGBTQ. The Catholic Church. Making exceptions. Bending their proverbial sails. Well, listen, they were already in cahoots anyways. But any church that's willing to bend their cells and become inclusive in our culture today, I can promise you on the authority of Scripture alone, sola scriptura, the Scripture alone, not Ben's opinion. I didn't write this. I didn't make this. I've received this. I've received this book. Ancient words. Faithfully, they are true. This is what makes me and this is what should make you. This is what makes us who we are. This is what makes us uniquely and distinctly Christian. Move away from this. It's something other than Christianity. It's just a fact. 
But in our culture, we want to make oh, everybody's a Christian. Everybody just love is love is love and just love who you want to love. Listen, you can love who you want to love and go to hell. And, and that's not because that's what I want. My desire is for everybody to go to heaven. I want everybody to come to the saving knowledge of Jesus Christ. That's what I want. And so I live in a particular way and I speak in a particular way as to persuade men and women to follow Christ. But if you choose to live however you want to live and you have that sense of entitlement that I'm going to be the God of my own soul, God gives you the freedom to do that. And he'll leave you in your depravity and you'll die and you'll perish and go to hell forever. That's what the, that, I didn't make that, that. That's what the scriptures say in accordance with the scriptures. You following me? The, the, the religious leaders of the day hate Jesus so much they conspire with the world's irreligious in order to entrap Jesus in order that they might destroy him. Nothing new under the sun. Same thing is happening today. And this is why we have to be those that look into the scripture as if it's a mirror and say, how am I doing? Not how's the person next to me doing, how am I doing with regard to, to living under the lordship of Jesus Christ and his word and trying as best I can to understand what it says so that I can live according to God's precepts. It's, it really is that simple. In the, in the same way that Jesus made the simplicity of understanding the Sabbath day exception so simple, you'll find the rest of the word of God is really simple like that as well especially on issues regarding morality. Well, I'm past my time. Can you feel it? No, preacher, keep going. <laughs> Listen, legalism has always been the enemy of grace. And by no means was the Old Testament a form of legalism at all. The traditions of men that they created were their forms of legalism. The Old Testament was an arrangement between God and the nation of Israel. The Mosaic Covenant, again, was an if-then arrangement. Obey blessings, disobey cursing. The Old Testament was a means of guiding the nation of Israel towards the coming of the Son of Man, their Messiah. So it's appropriate to see and to understand all of those laws, all those ceremonial laws that they were required to follow for blessing as laws of God to be a means of grace to lead them to understand their need for Jesus. Paul, as a matter of fact, said in Galatians 3, 4, the law has become our tutor to lead us to Christ so that we may be justified by faith. Jesus, in the life of these Pharisees and putting down the traditions of men, steps in in a very big way, doesn't he? And he does so in such a way that he calls them to the quick and he exposes to their own hearts that you actually do understand what I desire, which is compassion and not sacrifice. You've just been misapplying that all these years. You'll do for the animal what you won't do for your fellow man. Shame on you. And so they hated him all the more, conspired with the Herodians as how they might kill him. Well, Jesus is indeed the Lord of the Sabbath. Amen. 
Each and every day is our Sabbath day rest if we're in Him. And we have ceased from our labors of trying to please God. Jesus pleased God perfectly. And when you're in Him, He sees Christ's blood as a covering for you. And He sees you as a law keeper too. So we live for Christ.